Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, a graduate school professor, a former seminary president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Unbeknownst to, I think, most Christians, we live in an unprecedented time in history in which really the missional landscape looks vastly different now than it ever has before. And that has a lot of implications for how the world views the church and how those who were previously without a church, we usually say unchurched, um, how they go about exploring church. So that's what we hope to delve into today, the new approach to church exploration. In other words, how does someone with no church background look for a church? How do they analyze a church? and what do they most prefer to experience at church? So I just mentioned in in a very, I don't know, strong way that we are living in an unprecedented time in history. Can you clarify a bit as to why that is, why I'm not speaking in hyperbole there? You're not, you're not. Uh, And uh, I'll even betray a little bit about some things I've got coming up in, um, in my next book that as that gets closer to publication, we'll devote more podcasts to, I hope. But um there, when it there's there's two critical things when it comes to uh, the mission of the church and and the unchurched exploring a church. There's 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 th- there's two critical dynamics. One is um, their background, you know, the nature of our mission field. Who are these people? Mm-hmm. And then second, how 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 are they best communicated with? You know, how are we going to communicate with them? So an example would be, let's just say. Um, you are going to be a missionary dropped into the deepest parts of an unreached people's group in the Amazon basin. Uh, you'd need to know something about their background. Like, who, who are these people? What is their background? And, you know, what, what, do I, what do I need? I need to study them as people. And then second, how do I communicate with them? I need to learn their language. So I know how to talk. I know how to translate the scriptures. I know how to, you know, how to have a relationship. So those are the two things, the nature of who you're trying to reach and how to communicate with them. Okay, go all the way back to when the Christian church started. Uh, The nature of the mission field was pre-Christian, largely pagan, but pre-Christian in nature. Um, And then the way that people communicate with each other was largely oral in nature. I mean, yes, you would learn, I mean, people spoke in, in, you know, Aramaic or Hebrew or whatever, but the language of commerce was Greek. So the main language you would learn would be Greek. So you'd communicate through Greek, but it's largely oral. So even when Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote a letter, for example, to the Ephesians, to Timothy for the Ephesians, um, it would be read. I mean, it was it was still presented orally, largely, and that's the way people did things in the oral tradition. All right, fast forward, and Christianity began to grow and grow and grow, and eventually you even had the conversion of the Roman emperor, and um, you had... Uh, it went from a pre-Christian world to a Christian world, and increasingly so, culminating even in 800 AD with the crowning of Charlemagne by Pope Leo III um, as, as Holy Roman Emperor and such. And, and so you had, you had this idea of, of, it was not now a Christian society, a Christian world. Uh, and the way that people communicate with each other shifted from oral to written. And the written quickly became mechanized, such as through Gutenberg's press. Um, and so you had from oral to written and from pre-Christian to Christian. Well, there has now been a third change. And it's only the third 
iteration we've had in 2000 years. Uh, we've gone from pre-Christian to Christian to now post-Christian in terms of who we're trying to reach. And the means of communication have gone from oral to written to digital. These are not, this is not a small revolution. This is not a small change. This is seismic. For only the third time in all of Christian history, we've got a new mission field and a new way of communicating to it in terms of a macro level in a global scale throughout the world. And so, yes, what you said was not hyperbole. It, this is a massive shift that we're dealing with that I don't think the typical, and I don't mean this in a condescending way, but it's just happened so quickly, so rapidly. So as of this moment, that it's understandable that the average Christian is really not aware of it. And even if they are, uh, they're still processing ramifications. Yeah. So let's kind of get into some of those ramifications because the institution of the church used to serve as I would say the central locus of Christianity. Like if you wanted to learn more about God, a local church is where you would go to do that or your local pastor. It doesn't seem like that's still the case. No, uh, I, I think that'd be the last place most of these people would go. Uh, really, they're, they're no different than you and I. If you have an informational need, if you have something you're wanting to investigate, something you're wanting to explore, you're going to Google it and you're going to go online and you're going to um, start sifting through all of those various search engines and Wikipedia articles and whatever else you need till you feel like you've got a sense of something. But even with search, but every, everything is online. You, 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 don't, you don't go somewhere. You don't say, okay, I'm interested in exploring spiritual things. I'm going to be finding out more about Christianity. I think I'll go to a local Christian church. No, I'm going to Google some things. And maybe, maybe as a result of that, because of something I've stumbled across, I might visit a church website and look at some things. And then there, maybe I might look at some content, but largely I'm not even, I mean, that's, that's, way that's way down the scale and that's if you hit gold with these people well that's what i'm interested in that maybe because i feel like we live in a culture where you think that all of the information is online like you can just find everything there and so i'm trying to think through what would motivate somebody to go beyond a google search to like just type in you know who is god or you know what would make yeah. them end up stumbling on a church's website or seeking that out well that's if if a church if churches aren't intentional with their digital marketing and helping to serve people with specific searches in terms of the, what pops up in terms of ads and selections, which we I'll talk about in just a moment. Um, it, it's it's scary what they're going to get because you can Google something like "Tell me about Jesus" and get a site that tells you horrific things about Jesus that are not biblical at all and certainly not true to the historical Jesus. And so that's where everything related to how do you. Uh, discern and 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 think through what you find on the internet, which I think we've done, we've talked about some. But um, and so it, it's scary. It's scary to think about what people are getting about the Christian faith or about theology or about biblical truth on on, on the internet because they could be very adversarial, could be very hostile, could obviously be caricatures, stereotyped, outright falsehoods, and even an attack. But if 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 there's there's other ways that can get at it. Let's just say you're a church that has invested in some you know uh, some paper clicks or some 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 things where if somebody uh, types in contemporary Christian churches or they type in uh, 
you know, tell me more about Jesus or something. And you've got to paid a little bit worth with some Google stuff to have your stuff come up to the surface with that. See, I think now we're on the front lines of evangelism. We're on the front lines of what you can do to reach people. And so if how they search turned up something intriguing tied to a Christian church that's going to be bringing truth to bear, then that's a wonderful thing. And I think that is how they can find good stuff. But sadly, far too few churches are investing in, in those kinds of things. Uh, they're, they're not even really exploring digital marketing or, or trying to avail themselves of how technology can serve even somebody going on and doing a Google search, where maybe you could be the result of the Google search. But if you don't make an effort to do that or put some money there, and it's not as expensive as you think, then, you know, heaven only knows what they might get, and it could do far more harm than good. Another aspect that I think it would, would result in good things is if there was a relational tie that somebody had that was part of the search. So for example, uh, and this is when it's at its best right now, like let's just say you're not a Christian, you're not churched, you and I are friends. And I say, and we're talking about various things and you might just say, well, you know, Jim, I, okay, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I, how much I wanna get into this now. I mean, some of the stuff you said is intriguing, but as you know, I'm still not sure about a lot of stuff, but just say, if I wanted to look into it a little bit more, what would be a good website or where, where would I go? And then I might say something like, well, you know, go to mecklenburg.org and you can see our church's website, check an online campus. You can see some of that there. We've got other resources. We've got a YouTube channel that answers a lot of questions that people like you have. And you kind of can guide them where they feel like they're owning the search. They're the ones doing the due diligence, but you're kind of helping steer them toward, um, you know, authentic Christianity. And so when there's a relational tie to the search, when there's some good um, uh, investment that have been made by solid Christian churches and organizations that help bring things to the surface when somebody searches, uh, then I can be, it can be a really positive thing and that can and help the whole process. Otherwise, it's the Wild West. I feel kind of bad saying this out loud, but I almost feel like we probably should say it out loud because I think it is the underlying truth behind all that you've just described, which is that if you are waiting for people to just show up at your church's doorstep, then that's probably like unchurched people to just show up there as their first interaction. That's probably not going to happen. Like you were saying, you have to be intentional about reaching out to people. You mentioned YouTube, you mentioned, and we can, we can dedicate more time to this another time, but it just seems like that's what you're trying to say is that they're going to go online. Probably not going to happen. If they do show up it's because they took a wrong turn. They thought they were going to the mall. I mean, it's not, no, they're not. I mean, if if that's your strategy for church growth, if, if you think it's, if you build it, they will come kind of a field of dreams approach or, um, I mean, yes, in a healthy church, people are inviting their friends, but in our day, that's not even what most people are inviting their friends to. They intuitively know that's not the first step. Um, I mean, it can be, I mean, I think it, it, I would say that the people that come for the very first time on their own, they Google searched you, they're looking for a church and they came to check you out. They're Christians. Mm. They're new to the area. They're trying to find a church home. They're they're being they're taking the initiative, and and you just don't find that with non Christians. You just don't. Well, that seems then to have a lot of implications for what a church's website should be like. That there needs to be some rethinking done there. But I'm trying to think like from the perspective of an unchurched person, what do you think that they would be looking for on a church's website to determine whether they do want to check it out? Or I guess on the flip side of that, what do you think would turn them off? Yeah. if they saw it on a church's website? 
Well, I think the first thing is, is that you need to have a church website that is designed as the front door of your church. And so that means that just like we used to talk in the, in the 90s and 2000s, about how do you open up the front door of your church? How do you make it user friendly? How do you do guest services? How do you put people at ease? How do you, you know, start greeting them in the parking lot and all those kinds of things? How do you, <clears throat> how do you make directional signs clear and where to go and where check-ins are and big guest center and all the different things that most churches now intuitively know to do to throw open their doors and make a positive first-time guest experience at a physical campus that's all well and good but now you need to take all that thinking and apply it to your your website apply it to your online offerings if you have an online campus apply it to your online campus of course uh, so that when they go to let's just say your website um, it's, I mean, it's all designed for them. It's not designed for insiders. It's not designed for the core. It's not designed necessarily for the membership. It's designed for somebody who's checking that church out for the very first time. They're going to give you maybe 30, 40 seconds, and they're going to be looking for, you know, is there, is, are things that I'm looking for accessible, like a quick, you know, 30 second video that introduces the church or really quickly, what do you believe or where do you meet or, or I get a sense of just, okay, how do you guys dress and what's the style like? I mean, do I have any sense of, of just, uh, you know, a quick assessment? So you allow them to get a quick assessment. You design that entire splash page for them and their needs. Um, and then they're going to be asking questions when they look at that page. And one of the big ones is that they're going to they're going to look at that page, that splash page, in the first five, six, seven seconds, and they're going to ask the question, "Do I see me?" Hmm. You know, if I'm um, a twenty-something African American, do I see any twenty-something African Americans, or is this place lily white and a bunch of gray heads, or uh, I've got you know I've got a nose piercing, I've got a tat. And I've got part of my hair dyed and that's normal for me and natural for my, my friends and I, and it's just, it's not a big deal. When I go to the splash page, do I see anybody like me or do I see a bunch of button down conservative folks that I just feel like if I walk in, it's going to be all stairs. And so people are looking at that page. I don't think the page should be contrived, like where you import pictures of nobody you actually have attending. But you need to have your page be an, an inviting one where people can look and see me uh, and see themselves, see their age demographic, or at least the age demographic you're certainly wanting to reach. Uh, they're seeing diversity. Uh, they're seeing uh, where they would feel maybe a comfort level with that particular group. Um, helpful information, as I mentioned already, that helps position the church. So they kind of know, is this a Christian church, not a Christian church? What, what am I getting into? Just what is this? Is it contemporary? And say the kinds of things that I think most churches are learning to say about being a place for all to come and explore and attend. And it's okay to come with your questions and, you know, casual dress and that kind of stuff, which is all good. Um, I, I, I think that um, uh, it, it's just so key, though, to understand they're going to give you a a well, I don't know if this is completely accurate, but studies show that Generation Z, when checking out a new website, gives you eight seconds. They give you an eight second filter. Hmm. And within eight seconds, they either see something that makes them linger or they're, they've clicked on. So, you know, does your, does your website pass an eight second test? Where like all of a sudden, oh, cool. You know, just like, oh. I mean, you already got me for more than eight seconds. That was unexpected, you know? Um, and, um, 
And so does the splash page or the reel that you've got on there or something like that, does it, does it, does it invite and does it attract and does it, does it break through that eight second ceiling? So these are some of the things. Mm. Now, I feel like there used to be a lot of emphasis on um, helping the unchurched overcome like previous hurts that they'd experienced at the hands of maybe a previous church or other Christians. And yet I wonder if in a post-Christian context, if it's, if that's as common, like if younger generations have preconceived notions when it comes to Christianity, like if their hesitations are about, about church specifically are rooted in their personal experiences, that doesn't feel quite the same anymore, but is, is it, I mean, is that still just as accurate now as it was before? No, it's not. It's a great question. And this is something that I don't think is being talked about very much. There's a lot of talk about, you know, hurt Christian or hurt people, disaffected people wounded by the church. Uh, people went through experiences and make them want to deconstruct and various other things. These are large conversations that in fact, we could do podcasts on in the future about that. Um, yeah, but that, that's, a, that's an in-house deal. That's a Christian subculture deal. Mm. Uh, you don't hear about non-Christians deconstructing from their faith experience. They've never had any faith experience. They didn't grow up in the church. They've been unchurched. In fact, Generation Z has got the most positive view toward Christianity of any generation because they don't have the memory of any of the crap that people might have gone through, whether it was a moral majority or whatever it was that they didn't like. Um, but they, they, the millennials have got a lot of, of, of baggage, but um, Generation Z doesn't because they didn't grow up with it. They don't have any bad. It's like, I mean, so just like recently, I mean, give you an analogy. Recently, there was a survey done of Generation Z and three out of every four had never even heard of the Beatles. Didn't even know who the Beatles were. And so you run into the same thing. So, so do you know what evangelical is? No. Do you know who Billy Graham is? No. Do you know, what about Jerry Falwell? No. What about, what about um, whatever? No. Uh, so have you ever been to a Christian church? No. How do you feel about Christians? I think they're pretty cool. The ones I've met are really nice. So, so they just don't have any of that baggage. And so most of the people that have baggage are, are people who are churched and are Christians. And I'm not trying to downplay their baggage. I'm not trying to downplay what they might need to, you know, construct, deconstruct, reconstruct. I think that can be a healthy process. I'm certainly not trying to, to wash over uh, dysfunctional, toxic churches that have a trail of bodies behind them. But I do feel like today, the biggest issues that you really have to overcome are not those hits and hurts, but maybe stereotypes in the media, caricatures, um, uh, bad press, misconceptions, uh, a really warped understanding of what Christian theology and what Christians really do believe and the nature of Christian community. And I think that when they find it, it's refreshing for them. Hmm. That seems to be like a silver lining of a post-Christian culture. It is. Context. It is. Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Now, another strategy that I'm wondering if might, if might be a little bit outdated just because of my experience at MEC is the, the strategy of locations. So what I'm referring to is that at MEC, we used to have several campuses across the Charlotte area because at one time, I think studies showed that um, it, it, it like traveling more than 20 minutes to attend church was a huge barrier for people. And so we wanted to make it easier for people who attended MEC to invite their unchurched friends. So we had campuses kind of scattered about. But then a couple of years ago, just a couple before COVID, um, we ended up closing those campuses. So what was behind that decision? It's all strategy. And, and you know, to a, to a person on our staff and in our church, we all say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, that we mm-hmm. did that. Uh, we all feel like that was, a you know, even in hindsight, you know, 10 times more uh, appropriate and, and, and glad that we did it. Okay, you, you, painted, the, you painted the setup perfectly, Lex, that, that there is um, the whole strategy behind multi-site 
is that the barriers that we were having to overcome for an invitation, whether we were doing direct mail, uh, whether we were doing personal invitation, whatever we were doing in terms of marketing or inviting people, just inviting their friends, that our biggest barrier was geography. Once we had that personal relationship with an unchurched person and studies show that a high percentage would come if invited, the main barrier was, okay, are we, is it in close proximity? Because if I invite a friend, I might be happy driving 30, 40 minutes to a church I love, but I invite my friend and they say, oh, well, okay, where is it? Oh, it's over here. 40 minutes now, you know, that's just, you know, thanks, but it's too far. Psychological barrier based on geography. And so churches embrace a multi-site model. Um, and it really wasn't for us just to make it more convenient for Meckers to attend that were traveling long distances as much as it was to make it easier for Meckers to invite their friends who might not be willing to travel longer distances. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of things too that played into that for us in terms of the construction of an outer belt through our city that was that was not completed and and would make it so that uh, places that used to be 45 minutes away are now 15 there was just a lot of infrastructure stuff that we were waiting on. So multi-site made sense to us. And we were one of the pioneers. We started it long before most churches. And our sites were doing well. And we, we, we had them well-staffed. We had them, I think, well-positioned. And, and, and um, most were growing nicely. And there were no issues with that. It wasn't closing them out of, out of like, oh, my gosh, the, the ship sinking. I went through a stage, it probably started, we closed them in 2019. This thing, this probably started with me at least 2017, where I was just not feeling good in my spirit that this was really the most strategic. And I was seeing more and more with the digital revolution and, and things that we that could be done there. And, and, and I would have these, these, these gut-wrenching moments, usually at budget process time, where I would see the enormous price tag of these bricks and mortar physical sites in terms of staffing and money. I mean, they, they, and which is fine if they're effective. I mean, you want to spend your money on the mission. You want to spend on what's effective. So there wasn't any like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're spending God's money on this. But I did have this sense of, oh my gosh, are we spending God's money right? And is this really the most strategic? And I started having increasing sense of no that there's something better, that this digital revolution is real and that people's barriers are not geographic anymore. And we began to dig into it and find that most people um, who invited their friends were intuitively inviting them to the online campus first. Hey, just check it out there. Then we were finding that once people got really hooked on it and really liked it and Wonder Christ, et cetera, and through a long digital process, that then they, they uh, had no problem traveling any distance within an hour or so even uh, to a campus. And so, and, and often would drive right past one of our campuses because they preferred to see the speaker live or, you know, uh, obviously our originating campus was the largest of them and, and almost by you know, nature had more to offer in terms of children's ministry and various other things. So, uh, you know, we just found that, okay, well, so, so why are we doing this? It, this doesn't, and so you know, one thing led to another, and I began to see just drool over all that we could do with those resources, with the digital revolution and, and enhancing our online campus and reworking our website and digital marketing and 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 so many other things, and um, so in 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 we through a several month process that's more. And, and plus my own two-year odyssey, in 2019, uh, late spring, we, we just made the decision we were going to completely end the multi-site strategy, um, pull everything back to the originating campus, which uh, looked toward a building program to take in that growth. We also are on 80 acres, so we had no issues with being able to continue to grow that. 
um, and um, take all of those resources and put them into and reassign staff and do and put everything into this digital revolution. And and we're so glad that we did. <laughs> uh, literally, I think the very first weekend we did it, not only did our in-person grow, but our online grew and everything about it grew. We didn't lose families. We, we gained, we, we, we didn't, I mean, it was just uh, this wonderful thing. Everything just, we had our biggest growth spurt ever after closing the sites. And, and, and we had all that synergy with the originating campus, as well as all of this energy and focus being put on putting things online from the Institute to children's ministry and enhancing our campus and staffing that with pastors and greeters and hosts and just taking everything to a whole nother level. Little did we know that lurking around the corner was this thing called COVID. <laughs> so when that hit in you know, March of 2020, and we'd made this decision in like May or June of 2019 and already moving this way, we were just perfectly situated. Mm -hmm. and didn't miss a beat and we were just like oh my gosh this is just you know uh so we we just were able to throw ourselves into it and as a result of that we were able to go through covid and we were an outlier we grew throughout covid numerically in amazing ways including reaching our 2020 goal of 20,000 attenders with ministry in 20 countries by the year 2020, which I don't think we would have done otherwise. And we, we were able, and, you know, just in every way, the church just thrived and flourished. We still had in-person things that would, we'd have that would attract thousands, um, you know, special events either around Christmas or other things like that. But we actually stayed closed for 15 months. We were so able to engage and we're so fully on online that we were one of the last to reopen and we never, we never broke stride and it did so, so well. So we, we, we feel very good about what we did and we still do. And we, our largest campus is still our online campus. And I anticipate it always will be. Um, and, um, and that's where we're reaching people. That's where people explore us. And that's, that's where we're, we're assimilating people. And, 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 and that's, I mean, that's, that that is the future. We made that pivot, and and man, we've never looked back. And so we're a hybrid church, as a combination of the physical and the digital, and that that combination works extremely well. That well, may have been so, more of an answer than <laughs> more of what you're fishing for, but that no, was I think that was great. Did. No, well, so kind of on that note, as you mentioned, if I'm going to invite somebody to Mac, I can either invite them to the physical campus or I can invite them to the online campus. But I'm trying to think like from the perspective of somebody who is new to church, what would they prefer? Like, especially online. within the context of a relationship, you feel like they would still prefer Absol to check it out Absol online? Absolutely. Because if you've got the relationship built with them, the relationship is not dependent upon whether or not they physically attend with you. You've got a relationship, you know, you're sitting with somebody and you're having, you're at a craft brewery and you're having, you're sharing a beer, talking to your friend or after work or you're at a coffee shop or whatever, you've got this relationship with them. Uh, and uh, and then so you you um, you know you you are talking about spiritual things. You you invite them to check it out, and and you say, look, you know, I'd be happy for you to go with me, but I'm I'm assuming you might be more comfortable checking it out online first. We got a full online campus, and it's fully populated with pastors and hosts, and so you know these are the times, and you can just check it out, make sure it's not going to weird you out, and see what you think, and and then we could talk about it, and then you know if you ever want to go physically to see it, you know, which is fine. I'll be happy to go with you or we can sit together. But, um, you know, the bottom line is we have two campuses, both are, are legal, 
We're inviting you to whichever one meets your needs or serves your schedule on any given week. And so we're, the goal is not to just like hook you with the online and then it's like, okay, now you got to be there in person. That's not our philosophy at all. Um, we do think there are some things that need to be embodied, but it's not necessarily that. And so, so I would say that my, my instinct is to always make it low hanging fruit. And I think low hanging fruit is, and I've, I feel like I've said this a thousand times to people, well, why don't you just check it out online? You know, no fear, no worries. Nobody, you know, sees you can, and, and we've had, and, and you've seen this too, because I, I know you've spent some time being a campus host and such, and, and you've been in the chat rooms and such. And how many times have we heard or seen someone says, man, I'm so glad you got this. I would never darken the door. Yeah. I would never go to it. I mean, no way. And, mm-hmm. and so this is allowing me to attend and explore and thank you. And uh, so I, I think that that is what most people would intuitively invite their friends online rather than say, hey, come to church with me this weekend physically. Mm. Well, related to the online campus then, because what's different about that is this is kind of a relation to another strategy that I wonder if it may be a little outdated in light of the digital revolution is before. um, So it's a sense of belonging. This is where I'm going. So before we used to talk about how the unchurched really wanted to belong before they believed, like that it was important for someone checking out a church that there was either some type of like community service cause that they could align themselves with, or there were a lot of like groups or connections that offered them opportunities to feel like they belong. But with more churches learning, leaning towards an online, like online opportunities, is it because that assumption is no longer accurate or is there a shift that has taken place in our idea of belonging? Yes, the latter. Uh, There's, there's a difference in our shift of what it is still, I want to belong before I believe. Okay. And that's, um, but I don't think that it is being manifest the way it was even two years ago, three years ago. Um, there's still a sense of wanting to belong and be a part of a, a tribe and to explore things in a safe way and to check it out in a relational way. But that isn't necessarily embodied. Uh, in fact, if you, there was a, a study that just came out that found that the average uh, person, I'm going to use Gen Z just because they're the, the up and coming and they're the, the kind of the canary in the coal mine about where culture is going. Um, they don't follow celebrities. They're totally following influencers. So they've got an online tribe. They've got an online, th- they want to belong to something online. And then it's through belonging, which for them can happen online, is that then that or they want to do that before they embrace, before they believe, before they accept. And so it's very important for them to feel like they do belong to something online, uh, whether it's uh, feel like they're belonging to a tribe of people as part of this particular influencer that they like or uh, this, whatever. I mean, and so it's all moving online. It's all, it's all digital. It, it's not the embodied under, understanding of, I want to belong before I believe or embrace. Um, and I think that even when they surface from an online perspective, they don't want us like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to surface. I want to go to a serve day where it'll just be me and 15 other people, or I'm, I'm going to surface and now I'm going to join a small group. Uh, no, no, that's, that's like, you know, making me run naked through the, the baseball <laughs> field. Um, I like it, but if you've got an event that let's say you're going to have this big, huge event that I can attend with relative anonymity and I can kind of see this in action, uh, then, um, then, uh, then that's something that I could, I would, I would try. And that was something that we found over the last two to three years have been very effective putting so much of our effort in outreach 
and even building community and building trust and building relationships online because you really build a relationship and you can through an online campus and our pastors are building relationships, our hosts are building relationships and we're building a relationship of trust with people. I, I, I just was having a conversation just the other day with a, a family that, um, we, that we were dedicating their, or my wife was having a conversation with them. We were dedicating their baby. They're part of a, de a baby dedication event, which we have multiple times a year. We baptize hundreds of babies. Not baptize, yeah. Dedicate. I mean, I, dedicate, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, dedicated parents, all right. Um, uh, and, um, and there was this, uh, this beautiful family and they said, yes, first time we ever been on campus and here for, you know, they went through the whole dedication process, which is online and all this kind of stuff and uh, members of the church. And they live probably an hour from here, 45 minutes, uh, you know, haven't for various reasons, COVID, but other things, they just love our on online campus. I mean, and he said, yeah, he said, I just feel so connected through the online campus. He said, I remember one time I went to the chat room and I, and I just kind of put in a suggestion or I asked if something could be done. And it was, I don't know, some type of overlay thing that would help. I don't can't remember if it was because um, we, we did words to songs, but there was something he was asking if maybe that could be done. And he said, I remember the next week it was done. And he said, I just felt so like, wow, there's people listening. There's people, you know, caring. And, and this isn't just all a, a facade. And I think he just said, I just feel, I just feel like it's such a community. But he mm -hmm. never but you built that trust you built that that sense and so anyway we found that 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 building that relationship online and then offering events where it's safe to surface and um and some of those events you know i remember we had one event that we kind of tested an online event i mean a, 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 an in-person event um and this was back when we were completely closed not even open for weekend services during covid and we had no idea how it was going to be received. I don't need to get into all the details about what it was, but we capped it. We had to ticket it. We limited how many people could come. And, uh, and, and uh, over 10,000 came, and that was what they capped and ticketed. We don't know how many would have come, but over 10,000 came just through the strength of our online campus and the people we were reaching. And we have found that to continually be true, where we have these events that attract thousands in person. Um, for these specialized events. And I'm not talking about our in-person services, which are still running about, for us at this point, about 70% of what they were pre-COVID. But our online campus is ginormous. And some of these select in-person events where we're giving people a chance to surface in these unique ways that are neither a service or online uh, are just uh, going crazy. So it's, it's a new day in terms of this belong before you believe. Sure. Well, and it seems like too, based on what we've been talking about, that certainly there are a lot of challenges, you know, in reaching people that have a limited biblical Bible knowledge or limited church experience. But as we've mentioned, there's also a silver lining to that. And that there's a whole lot of creativity or room for creativity. We don't have to feel pressured to stick to a particular tradition or a way of doing things because that's what is expected. You know, unchurched people aren't coming to church, you know, expecting certain hymns to be sung or a certain type of, you know, preaching to take place or certain ministries to be offered, whatever. Um, but I am wondering then though, what are they expecting? It's like beyond the website, right? Like an actual church service, whether that's in person or online, what are they expecting to see or experience or hoping to see or experience? A spiritual experience, something of a spirit, something that's meaningful spiritually. Uh, they don't even know what that is. Mm -hmm. They just know they're looking for it. You know, they might get it in a hot yoga class or they might get it in a, 
you know, um, you know, a mountaintop retreat or whatever, training for a marathon, but they're trying to find, they're wanting to tap into something transcendent. So, uh, and, it's, and that's what makes it so tragic that someone would actually surface hoping to find something related to God and not get anything but the world. Hmm. And so some type of spiritual experience, some type of meaning that's authentic. They want to grow. They don't even know what that means. They just feel like, okay, I know I need to grow. And I think that might involve spirituality, but for them, it's still all lumped with just self-help and, and self-development, but they just know that this is a part of their life that isn't part of just working out at the gym or eating well. And so they're trying to tap into something of growth that isn't being served in other areas of their life because they hunger for that. Uh, they want community. Um, uh, and, um, but it's, it's different than what we often, it, you know, this is another thing too. This is a whole other conversation. If they might say they want community and Christians want to give them the definition of what it is that they want. Okay. Oh, you want community. We know exactly what that is. And, and then they'll go like, Whoa, no, no, no. I'm not ready. I don't know if I want that. I, I'm not even talking about being with people in a group. I'm just talking about community. What are you guys talking about? Cause you're talking about weird and freaking me out. <laughs> And, and, and so we just instantly want to give this real in-depth biblical hyper discipleship, mentoring, close life on life. Tell me your deepest fears kind of, you know, things. And they're going, I don't think community to you means what it means to me. I just would like to know some people, have some friends, people I could call on. I mean, you know, or just, I just know and be known, you know? Um, and, and so, but, uh, cause they don't even know how to go deep on relationships. They don't, they've never had functional community. They just know that they're lonely. They don't want to be lonely. That's the big thing. They feel lonely and they don't want to be. Hmm. Um, then next day, they do want to make a difference. They want to make a difference with their life. They, 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 they're excited about being able to do something. They may not be that willing to make a huge sacrifice. You know, I mean, they're, you know, they, they like the idea of making a difference. Um, but when you give them low hanging fruit to make a difference where they can do something and they can taste it and they feel like they really did walk away and do something, um, when you can create serving opportunities and serving days and ways of giving that are like, okay, I can do that. It didn't hurt and it felt good. I mean, they, they just eat that up. And so um, making a difference, but maybe putting that on a low, low shelf. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe not introduce them to Borden of Yale and his death at 26 at the first time you meet them, but, you know, maybe help them with, you know, stair step towards some of that. Like maybe you can just pack some seeds for a family in Ethiopia and we'll send it off for you. Mm -hmm. And then I think the last thing, and this is particularly those who are married uh, with children, I think that um, they, they are desperate for wanting their children cared for, even if they feel nothing, even if they're a flaming atheist, they want their kids to have some type of spiritual values, some type of morals you know, they like the 10 commandments. They, they, they want their kids. They want that for their kids. And so there's been, I mean, this is long before recent years, but I mean, throughout the whole run, I mean, I've seen families that come to Mac for their kids or open to coming to Mac for their kids. And then uh, as a result of that, they find Christ, hmm. um, but they came for the kids. And, and if you can make it so that the kids love it and are begging their parents to come every week, you've just tapped into one of the greatest evangelistic church growth outreach things you can have, which is why it still boggles my mind when I, I talk to pastors and church leaders and they find out that uh, our largest number of staff are with Met Kids, the largest amount of real estate in our buildings, everything's for Met Kids, all of our efforts are for Met. They're just like, 
they just viewed it as like babysitting or daycare mm -hmm. or a necessary evil. And I just said, oh, no, that's your growth engine. And it's true. You just had people, I mean, when our kids are dragging their parents, then, then you, you've got something. And, and so many parents come for the first time for their kids. So you, you want to make sure that, that, you know, you, you, you hit that one out of the park. Mm. Well, at the top of the podcast, we were talking about how, you know, this is a very seismic change um, within the missional landscape. And I hope that I feel like what we've been talking about for some may feel like that, like may feel very jarring because, you know, even just talking about, you know, ads on online or, you know, what your online experience might be, or just all of this seems so different from the way that church has been done for so long. But I really love how you also frame this of, you know, this is also, you know, a time that is ripe for, you know, really meeting people where they are and engaging in creativity and not feeling constrained to do things a certain way because they've always been done that way. We can um, really, yeah, get to know the people who we hope to introduce to Christ and um, in a way that really honors and serves where they are. So awesome. Well, this has been a great conversation. Um, we don't want to hold you any longer, but we hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you for listening to this week's installment of the Church and Culture Podcast with Dr. James White. We hope it was not only informative, but challenging and the start to an ongoing conversation. To stay up to date with all the latest, check out the daily headline news and subscribe to the Church and Culture blog, all found at churchandculture.org. You can even keep up with Jim by following him on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at James Emery White. We hope you'll join us next week. Goodbye for now.